Thank you, Debbie. Everett, thank you. Kevin, great job. And it leads perfect into what we're going to talk about today. Very touching. It made me think hard, quite honestly. Today we're talking about reconciling. Now, of course, we know that to reconcile with God, we needed the blood of Jesus. The only way that we had that reconciliation with God, that reconnection, was because he loved us so much that he sent his son. But because we've accepted his son, there's a certain responsibility that we have to behave as Christians, to be the kind of people that don't have a bunch of uh, disputes in our lives. And sometimes it's inevitable. Sometimes we have enemies. But like we talked about last week, we have to be forgiving. It's not an option. We have to be. And if someone asks us for our forgiveness, we've got to forgive them. Just like if, uh, if we ask someone for forgiveness for something we've done to them, we want them to forgive us. See, the fact is, last week we talked about forgiveness, and we, we mentioned that forgiveness could, could lead to a relationship being reconciled. Could, may, potentially. It could happen. See, the deal is, though, it takes two. But let's not kid ourselves. It might take two to reconcile, but it also took two to get there in the first place, to have that dispute. You can't have just a a dispute with someone else by yourself. It takes two. Otherwise, there's no need to reconcile. And there's disputes in our lives. There's conflicts in our lives. We could all say we have a a conflict with God over sin that he has solved through Christ, bringing reconciliation. But today I'm talking about specifically the people in our lives, the people in your lives that you may need to reconcile with. Or maybe it's on down the road when this might happen to you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that we can be the kind of people that can reconcile with others whenever the opportunity is there, whenever the opportunity is is right. I'm not saying that we have to uh, uh, admit wrongdoing unless we're wrong. What I am saying is we need to build relationships. That's what being a Christian, part of being a Christian is all about. How are we going to disciple? How are we going to make disciples? We've got to continue to build relationships, even with our enemies, even with those we don't like, even those, especially with those who don't know the Lord. It takes two to dispute. It takes two to reconcile. But what about those disputes in our lives? There's a number of different things that you could have a dispute over or a conflict over with somebody else. I want to talk about just a few of them where we can kind of get rolling in the right direction today. And the first one is sports. Now, I know this might seem silly, but it's true. People can get mad at each other over sporting events. And if you haven't seen it in your own communities, let me remind you about the two guys that got in a fist fight. I believe it was... They were both taking chemotherapy for cancer a few years ago when UK played Louisville in the Final Four. Remember that? These two guys got in a fist fight. These two guys that knew each other and been friends evidently as they had gone through the battle of cancer together. And they were good friends until Kentucky played Louisville. That's a dispute that shouldn't have happened, obviously. But you can go overseas into Europe and you can see some people doing some crazy things over soccer. 
But the fact is, you really put a lot of uh, heart into it. And the fact is, right now, in my life, I have a dispute. And it's not with UK fans. It's with Scott Parker. <laughs> and, and tonight, tonight, we'll see how that dispute is handled. But there's a lot of preparation that's gone into this. There's a lot of heartfelt passion when you're uh, really into your sports or as a fan. You work hard to get ready to win. I worked hard this week, and I think we've got a video to show. I'm here over the Family Life Center at Harvard Christian Church right now, getting ready for Sunday night's big matchup. Over here, watching some folks play, getting my practice in with my dozens and bunch of fans. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Delanor. Just be ready, Scott Parker. I'm coming to get you Sunday night, after you Sunday night. It's you and me, pickleball. Listen, I was born in this world for a few things. I got to preach, I got to praise God, I got to pray, and pickleball. You're going down, Parker. <laughs> Thanks to Kitty Howe who helped me make that video, and of course, Eleanor, my biggest fan. <laughs> we're going to have fun with this. Obviously, we're not really disputing here, but we'll see what happens after the game, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I am going to beat him. I mean, I'm sure it'll be close, Scott. Uh, but the fact is, if you have these kind of disputes over sports, there's no real winner. If you have something that you can legitimately call a real dispute or conflict with someone over a game, there's just there's no winner in that scenario. Uh, but it does take two, and there's even more things. Obviously, sports, that's it's a little bit silly, but true. True nonetheless. Uh, I once had a man long, long ago that told me that he couldn't believe that I was a Duke fan, this is not here. This is in northern Kentucky. Couldn't believe I was a Duke fan. And uh, if I didn't switch to being a UK fan, he was going to leave the church. I'm not joking. Now, luckily, his wife grabbed him by the ear and said, no, you are not. <laughs> but he meant it. Uh, we, we patched things up over the years. Uh, good guy. But what about some other things? How about money? I don't think that anyone here can ever say that they've never, ever, ever had any kind of dispute in their life over money. And think about why. Was it just a few cents? Was it just a few dollars? Was it because you didn't think it was going where you thought it should be going? Was it, was it because things weren't happening the way that you wanted them to happen? Was it because you felt like you had earned more? Was it worth it? What about politics? Has there been any kind of disputes in our country lately over politics? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. And, and why? Because people, we've got to try to follow that path of righteousness path of righteousness. Do the right thing. Not about this side or that side or any one side. It's about doing the right thing. What about religion? Has religion ever caused any disputes or conflicts in our world? Something that's supposed to bring people together? You bet it has. And you can think about different religions besides Christianity here, and, and it would work. But let's talk specifically about the church. What about, what about the church? You can go all the way back 
the time of Jesus? What, what were some of the things that he was struggling with? Pharisees. And what had the Pharisees done? Now, you had God's law, but to protect that law, to make sure we didn't ever get anywhere close to ever breaking any of those laws, the Pharisees built a fence way around that law, and we'll call that legalism. Right? In other words, we're going to say that this, this, this is wrong because we know that it might lead to that which actually is against what God says, adding to the word of God. Now listen, I'm not saying that you can't build those fences to protect yourself from sin. You can, absolutely. But whenever we start making that itself law or a matter of essential, that's when we too can fall victim to legalism. And I believe that today's church, we've got to be real careful of that, folks. We've got to be. They dealt with it in Acts chapter 15 in the new church. Remember what happened? They were trying to put all the old Jewish law, the Jewish rules, circumcision, on all these new Christians, all these Gentile Christians. But luckily, that church was able to get together in Jerusalem, and what did they do? They looked to the Word of God. They looked to what God wanted them to do. And I believe that most of our disputes in, in that, that are solvable in our lives can oftentimes be solved if we look to the Word of God. Let's not forget what it means to be part of the restoration movement. That's what the Christian church is. We're part of the restoration movement, a movement that was a few hundred years old now that started because people said, we want to go to do what the Bible says, and the Bible alone. This will be our, Christ will be our creed. Bible, the Bible is our only book. Uh, our only law is love. So it's just one of the many mottos of the restoration movement that we should still, I believe, stick to today. This one right here, you should know. We're going to speak where the scriptures speak. We're going to be silent where the scriptures are silent. If we do anything more than that, it is building fences. That is making it harder and harder for people to be reconciled for Christ. And it's when that legalism comes into play. It's when we start adding rules and stipulation on others. Or whenever we start casting stones, because we ourselves feel uh, in, almost in a conceited way, like that, that older son of the prodigal brother, that, that we're better or we're not as bad. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights talking about the book of Romans, we should know that that's not the case at all. So let's instead do what the Bible says to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. We know that forgiveness, of course, through Christ is going to, is, without a doubt, is going to lead to reconciliation to God. But we know that forgiveness with people takes two. This verse says, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, one that we must share with others. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Ladies and gentlemen, we represent Christ as Christians. We're his ambassadors. What does that mean to us? It means we're going to represent him. It means we're going to speak for him. It means we're going to live for Jesus. In other words, we've got to live our lives with that old motto, what would Jesus do? And if you've got a dispute with somebody, if you've got a conflict with somebody that is very solvable, very easily reconciled, I have to ask you, what would Jesus do? Are you being an ambassador to Christ if you don't handle these differences? If you don't speak only where the Bible speaks? Are you representing Christ if you aren't acting with love? 
Are you really able to share this wonderful message of reconciliation if you are not living a Christ-like life as best as you possibly can and then strive for even more? So what about some issues besides what we've already mentioned? When I think of disputes or conflicts in the Bible, uh, the first thing I think of is uh, Jacob and Esau. Now, this is the first recorded case of identity theft. Think about that. Would you be happy if your brother or sister went to the bank, pretended like they were you, and emptied out your checking account? Would you be happy if a brother in Christ went and found your safe and somehow opened it, got your code, opened it up, and took all your stuff? Of course not. No one would be happy with that. That's one of those things that's going to be hard to turn the other cheek. But folks, this is exactly what Jacob did to Esau. He went in there and pretended to be Esau, put hair on his arms, put hair on his, his face, lied. He lied. And guess what, Esau? He was angry. Boy, wouldn't you be? I would be. I, I have no problem uh, saying that at all. If I was Esau, I would have been furious. But the scripture says that we have to beware of anger. We cannot let anger be the thing that, that drives us, that leads us. Anger is not going to lead us to good things. In fact, with Esau, the fact is, the uh, only way he's really able to move forward in his life after this is by consoling himself with revenge. He's consoling, uh, Genesis 27, 42, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. That's what Jacob's mom said before she said, you better run. You better run. You better get out of here. He's furious, and he plots revenge. That's how he's able to make it through the day. That's not reconciling. So if the only way that you're able to really get through with your life and, 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 and deal with something bad that's happened or some kind of relationship that does need reconciling is by plotting revenge in your heart or by still hating and hiding it, that's not true forgiveness, and that is not a way that we could possibly reconcile and expect success. We don't blame Esau for being mad. Of course not. And we all know some of the other circumstances that were involved there. He still had a right to be mad. He still did. But what was it going to lead him to? It was going to lead him to destruction. The book of James says that we must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And that what? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, which means it produces unrighteousness. Which again, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, we know that unrighteousness can also be translated as wickedness. So anger leads to wickedness? It absolutely does, of course. So what do you have to do when you have that anger? You got to calm down. You got to take it easy a little bit. Where? where what can you possibly, possibly accomplish by uh, trying to reconcile a difference if you have a temper, if you're mad at this point, if you are angry, if you're furious? It might take some time. Next scripture we're going to look at about this, Ephesians 4.26, which quotes Psalm 4.4 4 at the beginning. And they both say, don't sin by letting anger control you. Because that's what anger can do, isn't it? Now, listen, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I don't ever have a problem with anger, Brother Mikey. I'm going to say, man, good for you. Good for you. 
Because I know that if I try to react and I'm angry, it's not how I want to react. And I'll look back at it later and I'll think, oh, man, I was angry. Why did I behave that way? Because I got aggravated, because I didn't take a deep breath, because I didn't calm down, because I didn't all the way follow through with what the Scripture said to do. Now think about that for a second, because anger, look, you might not lose your temper and start screaming at somebody. Maybe you become passive-aggressive. Maybe I, I got someone that I know in my life right now I can think about that gets real snotty, right? Gets real, real uh, cutting with some, some remarks. Try to act like, oh, that's not what I meant, but you know full well it is. Because anger will control you. Ephesians 4, 6, uh, 4.26 is going to go on to say, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because if you can't solve, if you can't reconcile right then, you might still have that anger. I think we have to calm down. I think that's going to require prayer sometimes if you get in that position to really say, Lord, help me to calm down and, and, and to not be angry about this. Or maybe it means, you know what, go ahead and handle it if you can. If you can talk about those things, if you can hash it out right then and there uh, without doing things and letting anger control you, maybe go ahead and do it. Get it out of the way. Let's not forget what Psalm says in, in chapter 4, verse 4. It says, think about it overnight and remain silent. Now, these don't conflict with each other. They don't. Sometimes we've got to calm down before we try to reconcile. Sometimes. Think about that, y'all. Sometimes you need to take a minute, take a breather, maybe even think about what you're going to say, what you need to do, how you might go about this, where cooler heads can prevail. Anybody ever heard that besides me? Calm down. Don't stew about it all the time. Cool off first. Let cooler heads prevail. And again, sometimes that's easier said than done. We all know that. This is the kind of thing we need to do. So now let me ask you, are you angry? Are you angry with somebody in your life right now? Someone that you know that you need to let that anger go? Are you angry with God? Is there something that's happened in your life that's caused you to blame God? First of all, i got to say, you know what? Get over that and have stronger faith. Have stronger faith. Understand that bad things happen to all people. That's life. We say that all the time in here, but it is absolutely true. Bad things happen to all people. No one wants bad things to happen, but folks, keep your faith strong. That's why we want to be grounded in our faith. That's why we want to be prepared with the scriptures to strengthen our faith so that no matter what happens, I can say, I can give thanks to God for giving me his son, which gives me reconciliation to God. When we allow our emotions only, our emotions only to lead us in our faith, we become like that fool that built his house on the sand. Look, we should have emotions, don't get me wrong, and we should be emotional about the fact that our Lord loves us so much that he gave us his son. That should affect us right here. And it did the day you gave your life to Christ. And it should probably every day when you stop and think about it, like Kevin asked us to earlier, it did me. It did me. But if we rely only on emotionalism, only on that, that feeling that I have to be moved each and every Sunday, are we truly grounded in the scripture? Are we truly grounded in our faith? Maybe, maybe, but we know we have to have that faith that is built on that foundation, which is the word of God, which is our Lord Jesus, where no matter how much that wind blows or that sea roars, 
Our foundation stays firm. So are you angry? Why? And is it worth it? Is it benefiting you if you're angry with someone? And as we move forward, I say, settle your issues. Settle them. It's just like Jacob and Esau, years later, years later, when they finally had a chance to meet, Jacob, of course, had sent some gifts. That kind of represents his apology here. Bottom line is, at the end of the day, what are they going to do? They're going to hug it out. They're going to hug it out. And if you've got to settle your issues, folks, hash it out if necessary. But we don't have any scriptural evidence that these guys did. They didn't have to go back over a hundred times what happened all those years before. He didn't have to come in and say, hey, man, you know what I did. This, 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 and this was wrong. They didn't do that. You've got to let each other off the hook a little bit. You don't always have to hash it out, but hash it out if you need to. There's different situations. And when it comes to our faith, let's go back to another restoration movement motto, in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, and in all things, love. Sometimes you might not be able to reconcile because your essentials are different. But if it's opinion, folks, let them have some liberty with it. Matthew chapter 5, you guys know these verses as well. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Hold it there for a second. Let's not confuse this verse, okay? This is not communion. Listen, this is not communion. This is Jesus talking to people that needed to reconcile differences who were Jews who were going to the temple to offer sacrifices at the altar. What are we supposed to do at communion time? Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. We can look to 1 Corinthians, and it's going to tell us to examine ourselves. We should. We should. We should examine ourselves to make sure that we are remembering him right then, and what can we do in our lives to uh, emulate that more with our daily living. To me, this is when I'm going to remember communion time, when I'm going to remember, oh, man, I've got some stuff i got to do better. To me. Maybe it's different for you. But I can tell you this verse isn't talking about communion. Why? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, they're talking about someone making a sacrifice. When we talk about communion, we're talking about the sacrifice Jesus gave us, not something that we are giving him. Okay? When we talk about communion, we're, uh, when we talk about this guy making a sacrifice who needs to go reconcile with his brother, what was he doing right then? By offering that sacrifice, he was getting his sins pushed back by God. So if you're going to offer that sacrifice, instead of living with this sin hanging over you because you didn't reconcile with your friend, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, go take care of it first, then come offer that sacrifice so that that can all be pushed back too instead of hanging over your head. Plain and simple. That's how sacrifices worked. But we're blessed enough to have a Lord who reconciles us permanently. The last sacrifice that we would ever need was Jesus Christ. And it talks about that altar. This is just, I'm just going to get off subject. I'm going to chase that rabbit trail just for a second. Where is the altar at? Let me tell you, it's not this stage. This is not an altar. It's not this communion table. That's communion table. These are steps. All right? Another motto of the restoration movement is Bible names for Bible things. Let's not get confused with where the altar is. The altar 
was where the sacrifices were made. And that sacrifice, of course, for us was Jesus. So let's call things by Bible names. However, this would be a place where we would allow liberty, wouldn't it? So if someone else insists on calling uh, the steps of the stage of a church the altar, I'm not going to call that an essential. I hope that you don't either. But I want you to understand that's not the altar. The altar was in the temple where they offered sacrifices. The altar was where they would set it up like David did, like Moses did, like Jacob did. We'll have liberty, and that'll allow for more settled issues. The rest of the verse says, when you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle differences quickly. Duh, right? Otherwise, your accuser, he's going to hand you over to the judge. You're going to, have, you're going to get thrown in prison. It's not going to be a good day for you. Handle this stuff quickly. It's like we talked about last week. Be quick to forgive. Also be quick to reconcile those differences. Don't wait long. It'll just make it harder for you to do in the long run. So what are our keys to making this happen? What can we do? Let's look to Scripture. Let's look to the Word of God. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and Philippians 2, 1 through 5 are going to give us these things. Just go ahead and put them up there for me, Ryan. You guys can read them. These last two are what I want to touch on. Don't make it hard on each other. Don't make it hard on each other to come to Christ to be reconciled. Don't make it hard on each other to reconcile your differences. Don't make it hard on each other. Let each other off the hook. Think of others first and have a Christ-like attitude. I love that verse from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Check that one out because it's good talking about having that Christ, that attitude like Christ did. When we have that attitude like Christ did, what are we going to do with our differences with our brothers and sisters? We're going to reconcile them, of course. Of course. Remember, we got to be Christ's ambassadors. So if you're in a situation like that, let's realize that we are, let's rethink our circumstances, and let's resolve to make a difference. So the second question I'll ask you today is, are you being stubborn about resolving some issues, about reconciling with the brother? Is it you? Let's remember that God wants reconciliation. He's even sent us away. So if you're angry with God, I'm going to ask you why you're being stubborn, because he wants that reconciliation. But with your brothers and sisters, is it you that's preventing reconciliation? If so, cut it out. Guys, cut it out. Stop it. Remember, we are Christ's ambassadors. We must live that way. And why? Just another reason why. Because when we talk about reaching other folks, when we talk about showing people our love for Christ, when we talk about representing Jesus, we got to set a powerful example. And what did, what did Jacob and Esau do? They set an example that day. Guess who was watching? Joseph. Joseph saw the fact that Jacob and Esau, he would have heard about some of the issues they'd had, no doubt, and he saw him hug it out. So years later, when Joseph's brothers came and said uh, to Egypt, remember they'd thrown him in a pit, they'd sold him into slavery. Joseph rises to power in Egypt. His brothers, a long story short, come in and say, hey, we're sorry. What did Joseph say? Hey, forget about it, right? I love you guys. That example was set. But what about you and your lives? Don't underestimate it. Proverbs 22.6 is a good verse that we all should know. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Someone is watching you, and you can put whatever you want in that blank. You know who it is that you're setting an example for, or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't realize how powerful your Christian example can be. 
Don't underestimate it. And these are the kind of things that people watch. These are what people see. How we treat others. Remember? That great command. Love God. Love people. So as we start to, to wrap it up, I'm just going to say keep calm and shine on. Let your light shine. Set that example. And I'm going to ask you, are you setting a good example? Only you can really answer that. Maybe you can say it's between you and God. But I want you to think about it. Because I think we could all do better to set an example. When we do reconcile with others, when we do realize that we need to set that powerful example and we do let our light shine, then that is what we call application of faith. When we live as Christ's ambassadors, when we truly live as Christ's ambassadors, that's an application of faith. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 is what that should be. As God's partners or workers for him. I beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Your salvation, your faith, following Christ. The responsibilities that come with it, folks, don't ignore it. So I'm going to ask, what are you waiting for? If you've got something to reconcile, what are you waiting for to make that happen? And God says, just at the right time, I heard you on that day of salvation. I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day. Do it today, folks. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. There's no reason for it. If we're Christ's ambassadors, we've got no choice. Let's do it today. The time for reconciliation is now. Will you be reconciled? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for reconciling us to you through your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to teach and preach and set the example of that message of reconciliation every single day. We, we know, Lord, that means we've got to forgive that we've got to love even our enemies, that we've got to reconcile our differences and uh, be able to move forward, even if it's just to agree to disagree on non-essentials. Lord, we thank you so very, very much for loving us enough to reconcile with us, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we continue not to deserve it. Lord, help us to do better and to live as your ambassadors, and to understand what that truly means to live as people reconciled to you. Lord, we love you. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.